This is the Aussie Animal Show on AAA Radio. My name's Rob Armstrong. Welcome to the wildlife. Yesterday, something appeared in my inbox. It was a statement from Janine Duffy, the president of the Koala Clancy Foundation. I'd like to read the headline. Koalas in Victoria. A story of decades of contempt from governments, mass deaths, secret cults, deforestation, habitat degradation, wildlife crime, and frustrated citizens taking matters into their own hands. Immediately jumped on uh, social media, made contact with Janine, and we have an interview. State election. Koalas have not been an issue in this election, but I've got a funny feeling. Koala Clancy Foundation is about to change that. Here's my conversation with Janine. Janine, could you tell us a little bit about the Koala Clancy Foundation? Yes, Rob. Uh, We started in 2015 and uh, we mostly plant trees for koalas. So restoring and creating some new habitat in areas that were cleared 100 years ago. We have been involved in koala research since 1998 and I discovered a method of telling koalas apart by their patterns in their noses. So um, I, I have a very clear idea of how my populations are declining and I've known that for some time. But so is the department and they've done nothing about it. Well, yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I've had members of the department sort of quote my figures um, because I'm the only one doing any any sort of population assessments or monitoring in the Yuyangs, for instance. And for a while there in the Brisbane Ranges National Park until a, a bad bushfire when we had to stop. Normally, you get together volunteers, you go out and do active tree planting to reestablish and improve habitat for koalas. Is habitat loss one of the biggest problems they're facing? Australia-wide, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's it's terrible how habitat loss is, is creating problems for koalas on so many levels, you know. It, it leads to stress, it leads to road strike, it leads to disease, it, it leads to so many of the other problems that koalas are facing. In my local area, the habitat was cleared a long time ago. So we, we're not so much protecting existing forests because there's not much of it left. <laughs> and what is left is on the tops of hills that are dry and are getting drier. So it's becoming marginal habitat for koalas in the Yuyangs and the Brisbane Ranges down here just west of Melbourne. With social media being available, I've been looking at what you've been doing, and you've recently finished a planning uh, exercise. How many trees? I read 27,000 seedlings went in. Is that true? Yes, yes. We were up to 27,617. But who's counting? But who's counting? I count every tree, just like I think every koala counts. Every tree counts. Senator Janet Rice made a statement 
in the Senate explaining about her day out with Koala Clancy Foundation and the, uh, the fantastic work done. So it's good to see that some politicians are involved with the koala issue. There are some good ones, Rob. <laughs> They're just not not where we need them to be. <laughs> uh, well, a few of them are. And, I mean, if you look at the impact that the the handful of Greens are having at the moment in the Senate, and there's a Save the Koala Bill in front of them right now, it wouldn't be if it wasn't for a Senator Hanson Young. So imagine if we had twice as many. Yes, a good mixture of Greens and AJP may change things here in Victoria. I'm old enough to remember, well, maybe three Victorian koala strategy papers. And I can remember one was particularly nasty where the number one sort of recommendation was that they should shoot koalas. It would solve the problem. Horrific stuff. But this attitude of koala being a problem is highlighted in a statement you've recently released. Can we run through some of those things that you've sure. identified where mm. the koala is being blamed? Yes, certainly. I can't get over the attitude that I have felt from the Victorian state government uh, as soon as the word koala is mentioned. There's no joy in koalas as far as they are concerned. They are just a problem. And I can't understand. I just, uh, I mean, here is this beautiful native animal. And Rob, I think it's it's highlighted quite clearly by Lily D'Ambrosio, our environment minister, is very careful not to say much about koalas. You can hardly find anything that she said about koalas online. But one thing she did do is is post a, a Facebook picture of a beautiful, huge koala from French Island and compare it to a Donald Trump piece of nonsense, which I just think shows her her level of respect for koalas is very low. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> very um, low. <laughs> you're very polite, and I thank you for that. Yeah. People keep telling me Lily's really quite good and we can work with her. But in my experience uh, of Lily as the minister, she's done nothing. It's, it's left to the bureaucrats, and all they're worried about is servicing their clients. And in regards to koala, their clients are actually the logging industry. It was a very sad day when logging and the environment were put together uh, in a portfolio. How can one regulate the other when they're sitting side by side in well, an office? Look, I can remember when it was CFL, Conservation Forest mm. and Lands, and mm. we, we actually could get things done because the minister forced the departments to work with each other. Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, now it's now, all in isolation. Now, exactly. They may as well lump them in with mining, really, because, you know, they've got (laughs) – conservation has nothing in common with with most of what those bureaucrats seem to be doing. It's really, really sad. I'm always reluctant, Rob, to target bureaucrats in particular and public servants because they're doing a job. And I think a lot of the decisions are made above them uh, at the politicians' level. And it comes down to decisions about how they're going to get re-elected rather than decisions about doing their job. And, and that really makes me angry. But we do have an attitude within the government department that looks after koalas that they're 
a problem. They're a, a distraction. They're they're something that needs to be managed. I mean, even even the use of the term managed is a bit insulting, isn't it? The word protected has gone, disappeared from the vocab. Yes, yes. Uh, managed. And I find it worrying that the basis of a lot of this attitude is that koalas are thriving and abundant here in Victoria. Oh, now, that's a and, problem, isn't it? And yet you and I know this is not true anymore. You, you said to me just before you used to go for walks and find koalas all the time around Ballarat. And is that happening now? No. No, you'd be lucky to find one. Exactly. And I'm hearing this, Rob, from farmers all over central western Victoria that they used to be able to go out and find a koala fairly easily and now they're not and they haven't for decades. Now, if a government department isn't funding any population assessments or research at all for 20 years and in that time there's been massive environmental change how can they make a claim that koalas are thriving and abundant? The first thing any management likes to know is the numbers. What are they dealing with? And just as with the kangaroo issue, there is a lot of numbers being thrown around, but none of them are based in reality. The numbers are there to suit a narrative that the government has. And in this case, we're dealing with Vic Forest, which... I mean, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry for swearing. Oh, oh, they are a piece of work, aren't they? My problem with Vic Forest is if 10% of the money that the government's poured in subsidising Vic Forest, if just 10% of that money had gone into research, we'd have a real idea of the current situation of the koala population in Victoria. There's my soapbox stand. I, I think you're quite right. And we shouldn't have to subsidise them at all. But it appears that we do. 18 million last year, they were handed. And they were still in debt at the end. They were still in the red. And 20 million the year before. I, I, when the government says they don't have money for biodiversity conservation, I say to them, yes, you do. You're just spending it on the wrong things. I get lost for words when I come across an issue such as this, because mm. in the back of my mind, I'm seeing those images. At the moment, the conservation department is involved in salvage logging. Now, I've seen the footage, I've seen the photos, and it just looks like clear felling to me. The next big threat is cultural logging. They're just looking at ways to get around the forthcoming ban on old growth forests and unfortunately it's mm. things like the koala the greater glider the powerful owl all these animals are suffering it is and unfortunately the privately owned plantations if they're taking their lead from vic forest the government owned forestry company then they're taking their lead from one of the worst business cases on earth i think when it comes to forestry I mean, Vic Forests have been charged with illegal logging, you know, contravening their own laws. They have been refused FSC basic accreditation for decades. I mean, 
the basic level of accreditation means that you're just managing to log in a fairly sustainable way. But, you know, as seen by this global authority, the Forest Stewardship Council. Big Forests, not only were they denied accreditation for it, they then started to bully and insult uh, the, the FSC, suggesting that they were biased, which, I mean, is just below the belt, really, except that you're doing the wrong thing and change it, especially if you're a government department. Now, for sure. Look, my understanding of the basic accreditation is if you don't fell a tree onto a school full of six-year-old kids, you'll get accreditation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> our state government can't get that. And I'm not, I'm not saying they drop trees on kids, but it could happen. Uh, that could be tomorrow. That's, but they are dropping tr- trees on koalas. And, and they have admitted they've killed koalas in their forestry operations. Yes. And they've burnt them alive in yes. forest burns. Yes. And, and so if this is the bar that the government is setting, it's no wonder other people are just felling trees with koalas in them and leaving them to die horribly injured. It, 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 you can't lead with that low standard and, and expect the private industry uh, to not take and follow your lead, can you? The problems, and the one that really struck me, and I don't know if you want to go into it further, mm. is the problems they're causing for the volunteers, the rescuers, the carers, the vets, the, you know, people who are actively trying to help koalas. Would you like to cover that one or is it something else you'd like to raise? I think it's really important to let people know that uh, wildlife carers have to be volunteers. They're not allowed to accept payment for what they do, and that's to ensure that they're doing it for the right reasons, not commercial gain. That's fine. And most wildlife carers I know are proud of that. But the government also uh, creates massive problems for them and doesn't support them at all. So I think a carer can, or a shelter can apply for $3,000 a year, which is... I mean, it's poultry, really. It, it, that would barely cover the fuel yeah. that they use. Oh, look, look, it would cover the milk for three joeys <laughs> for the year. Exactly. And that's for the shelter. So, you know, often shelters have a couple of people, a couple of volunteers working, at working, no, volunteering in there. Now, these problems have been created by the Victorian government Surely the least the government could do is support the carers who are volunteers and who are not asking for anything for themselves. Support them fully by covering all of their costs that are associated with wildlife care. Would that be so hard? It would be very logical. Okay, extension on that. From the carers, the rescuers, the people concerned with the welfare – there's the research side. There's certainly not enough funding available for koala research, but you pointed out in your statement that this is probably because any research that's funded will result in the need for more funding for more research to actually get a result. This is ridiculous. It's it's worrying when a government has an agenda like this. I mean, they haven't funded any koala 
population research uh, for 20 years. And they basically haven't funded much koala research at all. When you look at their own uh, draft koala management strategy, the draft, we're still waiting on the final. Oh, how long? That's, that's been a draft <laughs> for ha- half of my life, it seems like. That's ridiculous. Yeah, sorry, but, yeah, sorry but no. <laughs> look, th- th- this program will be heard by people right around the world. And I'm sure they're sitting there saying, these people must have a bit of a personal agenda here because no government, no conservation department could be that bad. <laughs> Come to Victoria, no. folks. No one wants to hear how really bad they are, Rob. But the the koala management strategy is overdue by 18 years and two months. <laughs> the last one was written in 2004. Now, I can accept that it, it was probably valid for five years after that. But it's now 2022 and the government, under pressure, uh, announced that they would release the new one in August 2022. And hello, it's November. It still has not come out. And I suspect they're waiting until after the election. Or maybe they're just waiting. Maybe they'll wait another 18 years, Rob. Well, I find when I, uh, (laughs) yeah, I've been very patient. I've been waiting. Uh, I just want to, you know, have something in place. People are sick and tired of what's going on. In fact, we're hearing calls for a moratorium on harvesting blue gum plantations until something is in place to guarantee safety and welfare of not just koalas, but all wildlife that's moved into those plantations. You raise the issue 18 plus years for a strategy that's going to be so out of date by the time it's published, it's a waste of trees from the plantation, printing it on paper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no figures. Actually, uh, and this worries me because when they do finally release this koala management strategy, it's seriously flawed anyway. We need them to update it as soon as possible after it's released because at the moment they've they've done some modelling on koala abundance in Victoria and come to a very high figure, 440,000 they say there are in Victoria, which means everything's sweet down here. Mm. Now, I understand that they've used the best tools they have to do that modelling, but I do question the, the starting data. I mean, the models are fine, but if you don't put in the right data because you haven't done the studies, because <laughs> you don't have a clue, um, you're going to get the wrong answer. We found out through some of their mistakes that the method, the methodology they use for collecting that data, like we, we heard from the field officers down there in the southwest after the horrific fire, that they never actually went into the park to count koalas. They drove around the perimeter road, counted the number of koalas they could see from their vehicle, then extrapolated that for the whole park. Mm. Mm. that's not data <laughs> that's make-believe it's really it's really quite scary and i go back to the original the government is not funding these organizations properly they don't believe in them 
they have contempt for what they're doing. There are good people in those departments who are doing their absolute best. I know that. But they're doing their best under extremely difficult circumstances with a government who is simply contemptuous of koalas. What can they do? One would hope they'd do their job. I thought that's what they were put in Parliament Mm. to do. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Perhaps we need to go back a few years and actually have a conservation department. Yes, wouldn't that be nice? You you know, forget about all the acronyms and everything else Mm. we've had over the years. A conservation department for the care and well-being of native wildlife and their habitats. Mm. 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 Look, I'm not against plantations. There are plantations around the world that are doing a marvellous job Mm. producing Mm. the timber but also protecting animals. Can we do that here, do you think? I think we've got a better chance of negotiating with private plantation owners than we have with Vic Forest. Yep, I agree. Private businesses, uh, Mm. and quite a lot of these Mm. have shareholders. It's very Mm. easy to influence shareholders into putting pressure onto a company. Mm. It's easier Mm. to deal with someone who has to put out an annual statement. Yes, exactly. I think we do need plantations um, and, uh, you know, stopping paper use or timber use um, is not necessarily a good thing. But our native forests have been logged to death. They, It's time for that to stop. There's so many reasons to stop it that I, I really feel that a sensible government can't perpetuate this. That it's, it's insane. The Victorian government has set an end date. They're planning, <laughs> they say, to transition out of native forest logging by 2030. But what worries me is that originally it was 2028 and possibly before that it was a little earlier. So I worried that they will push the end date back by two years every two years and we will never reach it. So I'm demanding that they finish it by the end of next year. This is on our new list of demands for Dan Andrews. It has to be by the end of 2023 or all bets are off. Now, there's not much point in me threatening a government. They'll do what they like. But people need to understand that we can't give them a honeymoon anymore. The honeymoon is over. It was over long ago. And koalas simply cannot continue um, if if native forest logging continues the pace. My big concern is I, I, I mentioned two terms earlier, the current salvage logging, which mm. looks exactly the same as clear felling to me, and this heritage or cultural logging that will somehow get around this ban. Um, yes, yes. But that's not helping the koalas today. Your organisation and like-minded people around the state have had enough, basically, People yes. have given time, effort, money over many, many years supporting and, and helping koalas, but it's it's almost like it's too late. Because of the abundance of koalas in this state, it muddies the waters. It makes it confusing. We've got to look at the individual populations. Sure, many koalas are, are genetically limited because of their they come from translocation programs, but then we've got groups like the Streslicky koalas that are genetically different, an older genetic strain that people can't get any research 
grant no. money for. It took private individuals to do the research. The thing that worries me, no matter what government we have, and, you know, I don't want to go into that because I hate what the Andrews government has done for wildlife in this state. But at the same time, you can't go to another major party because it could be worse. So we are stuck with the alternatives. What do you think could be the best possible outcome for wildlife in Victoria out of the state election? More greens? Yes, of course, more greens. But also, I'm so frustrated at this point, Rob, that I'm tired of writing letters that go unheard. I'm, I'm tired of seeing this toxic attitude by the Dan Andrews Labor government, which will probably be returned, I, I suspect. And I think governments don't listen to people when they're saying things that are inconvenient until they're frightened of us and until they're frightened of losing their jobs. So what we're planning to do is get a, a group of koala leaders together to say to Dan Andrews, but maybe more importantly to say to the public, this government doesn't love koalas and it needs to start to learn to love them because we will punish you in the polls if if you continue with this bastardry, basically, towards koalas. Beautifully said. What needs to be said? They've left us no other option than to take it to the people. Now, frankly, I would rather be out researching koalas and <laughs> writing, writing papers and helping you know, people understand koala behaviour. I don't really want to host public rallies, but time's running out. And, and this, this government needs to be given a little bit of a, a shove, a, a bit of an unpleasant reminder, and I think the Victorian people actually will be on our side. <laughs> if any issue has me completely astounded, it's the koala issue. South Australia, Victoria, the koalas didn't get that protection the rest of the uh, koalas mm. in this country mm. got because they're abundant. And that's been... They're being penalised for being abundant. Where is the logic in that? It doesn't make any sense. So, Rob, I want to tell you quickly about um, an experience I had last week. I was at a conference about connecting conservation reserves, and I was fortunate enough to sit at dinner next to Professor Brendan Mackey from Griffith University. Now, this man is so prestigious in the world of climate change. He's been one of the authors of the IPCC reports. He's, uh, he's, he's just, and he's a wonderful man, a wonderful, friendly person who loves koalas and has some near his place in southeast Queensland. And he said to me, what you really need to understand, Janine, is that everything you've seen over the last couple of years that's been devastating for koalas he said, we've got another couple of decades of that and worse to get through because 0.5 degrees of warming is locked in because of our past behaviour. So we're at 1.1 above average now, globally. We're going to go to 1.6. He said, there is no way out of that and you have to accept that. And I thought of the horror 
that we have endured, Rob, with those fires and then these floods and then fire, 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 drought, heat wave. And I thought, koalas are not even going to make it at 1.1 degrees of global warming. How on earth are they going to make it with 1.6? But you know what? He's a fantastic man because he immediately gave us a solution. He, he said, you've got to get the koalas match fit for the fight. He said, you have to stop all the threats. Every single threat that is manageable, and most of these are, stop killing them on the roads, stop letting dogs kill them, you know, stop drowning them in swimming pools, give them as much habitat as you can give them in the next maybe decade, stop the threats so that they are fit for the fight because it is going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight like you have never known. And our Victorian koalas are the most fit of all the koalas around Australia and they are limping. And I don't know how we're going to get koalas through this fight if we don't treasure every single one of them at this point. I personally wish to thank you and all your volunteers and associate groups for all the tree planting that has taken place because that is one avenue. Linking together, we've got to link together remaining habitat sections. One of the biggest, best ideas I've heard of in the last 10 years was the Great Koala National Park up in New South Wales, and it got defeated. Oh. Oh, they were going to create, uh, join together all the little remnant parts, do active reforestation, turn it into a huge tourist destination so it's self-funding. What a brilliant solution. Yeah. Except the New South Wales government said, oh, no, nah, we're not interested in that. It's I too hard. And we've got the Great Forest National Park proposal here in Victoria. So well supported, so reasonable. Uh, they can't even support that. Why? Why? Mate. I, 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 We've got two weeks to get some of those uh, questions out there and let people uh, have a think about yes. where they place koalas in their lives and yes. uh, or else the only ones they're going to see are those uh, plush toys at the end of the kids' beds. Yes. Uh, and when, look, if they go, we're on a very slippery slope too. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I mean, they like... share their habitat with so many other species. Oh. Uh, the koalas are uh, sort of like an indicator of the yeah. health of the forest. Yeah. And yeah. if they're gone, everything's gone. Yeah. It's not just about koalas. I mean, you and I love them. and it, But I see this as being our flag, our, our rallying cry. Yeah. Yeah. If people want more information and to see what the Koala Clancy Foundation is all about, can we get your website? Certainly. It's koalaclancyfoundation.org.au. Also on Facebook, we can hit you up there. For sure. And you're still accepting people who like to get their hands dirty and, and plant a few trees? Yes, but we've stopped planting for this year. Uh, so we'll start again in June next year. We aim to get 30,000 trees in the ground uh, every season so that our Yu Yang's koalas will have 300,000 trees by 2030. It might be enough, certainly if 
some of these other actions are taken. It might be enough to just see our local koalas survive. Janine, thank you so much for your time. It's a great pleasure, Rob. Thank you so much for doing this. I've got a feeling we're going to speak again soon. (laughs) Good. Koala Clancy Foundation dot org dot au hit it up type it into your search bar right now janine and the team have been doing a wonderful job and they're stepping up to try and save our koalas now a chat with jessica of course listeners to this program are well aware of jessica and her work with the ballarat koala rescue and advocacy group But there is also a new page for you to go to. Ballarat Wildlife Rehabilitation and Conservation, BRAC. Go to bwrac.org.au. A lot of good information there and also a template for you to fill out if you want to support our Victorian koalas. Get involved. Elections only weeks away. Jessica spent some time tonight uh, flat out uh, to describe her life as hectic is an understatement. Here we go. Sit back, relax. It's the wildlife. Jessica, thank you for your time. There's a lot happening with koalas at the moment. Elections only weeks away. Yes. What's, what's happening in Ballarat region? Well, uh, in relation to Gordon, that's been very quiet and we have just been waiting patiently for news, which hasn't come. So uh, it's all quiet on the plantation. Nothing's happening. But we have not been sitting on our laurels. We have actually been working really hard on a broader campaign to help the koalas in bluegum plantations across Victoria. Well, mainly in the southwest of Victoria, where they're, according to DELP, very abundant According to DELP, um, there are around 47,000 koalas living in bluegum plantations in the southwest. And so we, we from, from the Gordon situation, we've come to understand the, that this is a self-regulated industry and to understand the impacts on koalas is, is just astronomical and that nothing's been done. So we've launched a broader campaign, which we started um, about four months ago, and we contacted, we, we put together some fact sheets. So we did a lot of research around the Southwest and what was happening there and on plantation companies and on the DELP regulations themselves. So how they're actually, how they're governed um, or how they're regulated by the conservation regulator. And we did some fact sheets and we contacted every MP in Victoria we wanted to we wanted them to know what was happening because what we were actually finding is that not many people outside the regions actually know what's going on in the southwest and to be perfectly honest i didn't know before the gordon situation so we we sent them some fact sheets and we we put together a survey because we we were th- we thought long and hard about what what actually can be done because it is a very complex situation in the southwest yes there are a lot of koalas there is minimal native habitat left because it's been so depleted uh, over the years. And and there are, according to Delp, 47,000 koalas dependent on bluegum plantations. So what actually happens to them when they come down? And we were thinking, well, what does happen? There's nowhere for them to go. And so talking to carers down there, even talking to Delp representatives about it, we 
found that they actually don't have a solution. And that was fairly evident when, when we actually looked at the latest um, koala management strategy that they put out, the draft. That was fairly obvious in 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 what they were – well, they didn't actually propose anything. They're looking for people to give feedback on that draft. And they haven't put it out, funnily enough. It was due out in August and we still haven't seen it. And there's an election coming, so that's no coincidence, I'm sure. Oh, you won't um, see it in the next couple of weeks, Jess, that's for sure. No, no, we we don't expect it. We don't expect it because we because the public won't like what they put in there. We're we're pretty sure that we know what their solution is going to be for the fifty thousand koalas. If there's no habitat and these blue gums are actually on private land, which most of them are on farmland as well, sometimes there's no available habitat at all. Like they've just got roadside habitat, so they ultimately get hit by cars and killed, or they die from the stress or starvation. So. We realised that the problem was so much bigger. It was so huge that we had to do something about it. So we did. We contacted all the MPs, and it was it was actually really great. It was, something actually happened that we didn't expect, and that was that I actually got to have like deeper conversations with these MPs about this stuff because a lot of them had no idea, and they actually wanted to know more. Um, not all of them. Uh, I've got to say, I never had one return email or anything from a Labor or Liberal representative. But we did have some from the Greens. We had quite a lot from the Independents. And we did have from the um, a couple of surprising parties as well, like the Darren Hinge party. We had a lot of interest and there was a lot of back and forth conversation with them. But ultimately, they didn't commit to anything. So we, we wanted to put together a scorecard that would represent who supported our priority actions. So we came up with some priority actions. Those priority actions have been shared on social media and you can see them on our website. But the number one priority, because we saw no other way, there is actually no other way to save those koalas, is an immediate moratorium on bluegum harvesting until they can find a solution for those koalas. Because currently there is no solution. Like, okay, if there's no native habitat, which is what I've been told by DELP, I've been told from the horse's mouth, I have been told there is nowhere to relocate them, even if they could relocate them, which they don't do as a rule. There is nowhere. So what is the solution? So to to us, you know, DELP's solution in the past has been culling. So we were quite concerned about that. So, so we really just felt, you know, the government's known about this for such a long time, at least – close to a decade they've known about the problems the welfare issues that this industry has inflicted on koalas and they've done nothing at all so we thought enough's enough like you've had plenty of opportunity to do something grow native habitat you know have some initiative start some initiatives locally where they can actually regenerate the habitat you know enforce um fencing around these plantations so that koalas can't actually get in and breed and populate in them. So there was all these things that we're thinking, they could have done all this and they didn't do any of it. So that actually helped us shape our priority actions. But the first one being the moratorium was the most important because really it is a complex issue. There's a lot to think about and there's a lot to do and there's no easy solution. So really there does need to be a moratorium until something can be figured out. Otherwise, we, we, we're going to lose tens of thousands of koalas and given that the the koala abundance numbers are so ambiguous 
Like we we actually don't know. We, we really don't know how many koalas we have left in Victoria. The government doesn't know. So they say they do, but they don't. I mean, the data just isn't there for them to know that information. So there's no other solution other than to protect those koalas because if we don't have the numbers that they predict through their modelling, then they are endangered already. We can't afford to lose 50,000 koalas in Victoria. I mean, that's not the point anyway. We, we do not want our koalas culled when they could have been helped long ago. You know, this is not a solution. It's not a solution to cull koalas. We don't know whether that is their solution. In all honesty, we don't know that, but we don't see how else they're going to tackle it unless there's pressure put on them from the public until people know that this is actually happening because it is, they keep it, they keep it very, very quiet. People need to know about this. Half an hour ago, you posted on social media a fantastic post, and I want to reference that later in this interview so that people can go and read it. But there's one line there that scared me. It actually scared me. There is no requirement on harvesters to relocate the koalas before logging plantations. So this this means they just go in with the bulldozers and and strip the trees out, knowing there's koalas in those trees. Yes. That can't happen. This is what we saw with Gordon. I mean, and they didn't want to set a precedent, did they? Because they don't no. do it anywhere else. And that's why, even though it was just the most logical solution to move those four koalas five kilometres north, they didn't do it. That's horrific, Jess. Yeah. So, you know, our number one priority action is the moratorium because that is that this is the start. We unless unless that happens, uh, we're going to lose a lot of koalas because these plantations are coming down now. They're coming down now. They're mature. A lot of them are maturing. Yep. So uh, plantations are continually coming down, and we continually hear stories from carers down there that they are just inundated with koalas displaced completely like they have no habitat to go to so there is no requirement for landowners or plantation companies to leave any habitat whatsoever for koalas so these plantations when they come down yes they're required to leave a few around them to protect them from machinery but as soon as they've moved on which ultimately they're going to because they're out and they're out in a paddock with like a few strength you know a few trees around them that's not it's not a habitat they're going to move as soon as they move they clear the lot so yeah no requirement the government has put no requirement on landowners or plantation companies to leave any habitat even though they know koalas are in there breeding over you know 10 15 years Uh, so there's a lot of things that need to be addressed and and so our priority actions we've looked at all of these things in detail and you can look at you can go to our website and our campaign page to read about these things in more detail because we've done a lot of research on this and we've had a lot of thought around these priority actions and yeah they're all important but the number one the moratorium needs to happen now i notice of course the major parties liberal and labor did not reply the greens victorian greens replied positively to many of your requests on this report card but they didn't support the moratorium was there they're, any reason un- for that? Well, they're undecided. Um, they were undecided on that. But look, 
they do support plant the plantation industry because they want yep. to end native logging, which is great. And we want that too. We really want that. We are not against the plantation industry. And I cannot stress that enough. If people think we're just these mad greenies that want plantations kept, I mean, we only want them kept because there's no other habitat for those koalas. And this, so this is their habitat. It's all they have. Um, they're dependent on it now. And it's the government's fault that they are. It's the government's fault that they are in this situation, right? They have put them there. So we now need to support those koalas somehow. So we are asking that they leave some of those plantations or at least acquire some land where plantations are so, it's, so they can have some habitat until native habitat can be restored. Yeah, so the, the Greens, even though we did have lots of conversations with the Greens, so they fully understand the they, – it's not like they did – well, they did – they didn't understand initially, but, you know, all credit to them. They engaged with me on email and we had more conversations about it. But they do believe that there is a future for the plantation industry because it it suits them because they want to, they want to end native logging and we want that too. Mm. But, yes, I mean, it's com it's complicated. They, they definitely did agree to the independent wildlife regulator. So this is a real positive. Oh, that was across um, the board on your report card. That was fantastic yes. result. Absolutely. And and yes, we know we desperately, desperately need that. But they did they're undecided on the government purchasing plantation land to sustain habitat. That surprised me because I do understand what it means not to have any habitat for them. Yeah, so look, we got some support from the Greens, which was which was really great, and we're thankful for that. But yeah, there was a couple of things. I mean, the moratorium being the most important one, they did they were undecided. The the idea of the moratorium is to put pressure on the businesses to do something. Uh, always to get action, you can lobby government for years, but with private businesses, owners of plantations, it comes down to the bottom dollar. They're private landowners. They're farmers, I think, though, Rob, aren't they? Yes, and quite them. often they want, you know, this was a bit of a superannuation plan, and they want those paddocks returned back to open field for pasture production or whatever. You mentioned fencing. Every other farming industry fences their paddocks to either keep animals in or keep undesirable animals out, and it's a pretty logical thing to try and uh, apply that same logic to the plantation industry. But it's expensive. And they're only temporary. They might be there 20 years and then the farmer wants his land back. But it's what damage is being done. To begin with, the open paddocks were converted into an artificial monoculture. And there's a lot of environmentalists that are worried about that as a concept in itself. But if it's saving old growth forests with all the wildlife and biodiversity within that forest great, I'll put up with plantations. I really will. But not if it's, we're going to lose 50,000 koalas. And that figure's no, small. That, that, that figure's too low. We all know there's more than 50,000 koalas in those plantations. Some areas are just so dense. The, the, the numbers, it's almost like believing the kangaroo industry with their numbers. It doesn't matter. It's not a numbers issue. It's the individual animals have gone into a situation man has created and the relevant department has not accepted responsibility for years. How many years have they been preparing this uh, koala strategy? Well, the last one was 2004. So mm. we've been waiting a very, very long time. I mean, think about how much has changed since then. It's unbelievable that they've taken this long to do an updated strategy. They still it haven't done a population it... count, though. 
not a That's basic. Right. You can't make decisions unless you're knowing about how many you're dealing with and where well, are they located. They, why would they do a population count in Victoria? Because it would not suit their narrative. Why would they do? Why would they want to invest in that? Because the moment we identify that koalas are actually endangered in Victoria, this industry would be would would have, would come to a standstill. There, there, you know, there are so many reasons for them not to do it, for the public not to know. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just think there's a there's a lot going on in the background here that the 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 public are not aware of. Yes, it's not because you and I haven't been trying to get the message out. We've told the story of the shelter operators, the the rescuers down there in the southwest, that are doing their best to save koalas. But they can't keep going. There's just too many involved. This is a threatening process. It's despicable that they have such disdain for our wildlife and for our carers who give up everything to do what they do and get absolutely zero support from the government. They, yeah, The carers down there are just they're inundated constantly with sick and injured koalas, and most of it is 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 traumatizing for them, you know. And they get no support. So we're we're actually one of our priority actions was actually asking for an independent investigation into koala deaths and the impacts of this industry. We, I mean, asking the government for that is, uh, you know, it would never happen. But maybe that's something that that the Greens, when they have agreed to it. They have actually supported it, Andy, and well, actually, everybody has supported it. Everybody that we, that engaged in our survey, but yeah, this is something that needs to happen because I don't think anyone could ever know the impacts because these are pro- these are on private land, these plantations, and so no one can ever see what goes on. And so, even though they're regulated on paper, no, no government, there's no monitoring of what happens on this plantation is nothing, no monitoring at all by government. So they can do whatever they want and they can report whatever they want. It's self-regulating. There's no resources for, for, for DELP to be down there regulating every harvest, monitoring every harvest. It's not happening. So, you know, just we don't know what we don't know, but I, I hate to imagine the suffering that's going on. I was speaking with Janine from Koala Clancy, and this uh, season they put in uh, 27,600 trees down there near the Yugangs uh, that will provide habitat for koalas. If we'd been doing that for the last 20 years, we might have linked some of the remnant habitat patches and given them a, a chance to move out of the plantations. But the koala seems to absolutely love the blue gum, and that was highly unexpected. It was, it was. But the blue gum's been around for a while and the government's known about uh, koala's love of blue gum for a long time, yet they persist with blue gum. It's just an afterthought. The koalas are just not a consideration whatsoever. And I'm not just talking Labor. This was, this is, this was happening under a Liberal government as well. Yeah. So no better. So no surprise that not one Liberal or Labor uh, MP supported our campaign. That's very telling. The industry, Vic Forest, they've got a lot to answer for. The conservation regulator has got a lot to answer for. If they ever returned emails, they might answer something, but they don't return emails. 
it's just they've shut up shop. They've got no solution. I think we spoke previously after the fires uh, where the koalas were incinerated. Basically, staff were throwing their hands near and saying, well, what do we do? We've got nowhere to move the koalas to. It's too big a problem. I mean, these people on the ground, I mean, they were these those officers were so young. I, I was astounded that they were responsible for this. Like, they just didn't have the knowledge or the experience. I mean, they had a manager who was obviously overseeing things, but, you know, they had no idea that carers or, or rescuers were even accessible. They had no idea about Wildlife Victoria. They had no idea that Wildlife Victoria could have actually helped with drone technology or, you know, like they just – wildlife are not a consideration. No, because they're not the client. The timber industry is the client. The koalas are just a nuisance to the timber industry. Well, there's yes, a lot no, of people that... around this state that have decided to do something about it, and uh, your group included, and good on you for speaking up and speaking up loudly. Yes, well, there's a few of us. I mean, there's a f there's there's some really active people. And look, Janine's doing great stuff by planning. I mean, it's amazing that it's, it takes a not-for-profit or, or one really passionate person to say there's no there's no tree planting going on in Victoria. There's no all, all our native habitats depleted. It, it takes people. It takes the community. It takes organize you know charity organisations to do this. It shouldn't. No. What one of the most ridiculous thing I've heard this year was the uh, the plan was rejected in New South Wales Parliament for the Great Koala National Park. It was a brilliant concept to take small remnant patches of forest, link them together with active regeneration, and create a tourist hub, a natural environment for koalas. It was a win-win for the old-growth forests. It was a win-win for all wildlife, including koalas, and it created job opportunities in regional areas. Yet they turned it down. That made no sense to me. That was one of the best things I've seen before a parliament this year. Well, because there's no foresight. Politicians just want gains now. Are they, they want to be involved in projects that can, you know, bolster their reputations now, not in the future. Mm. So this this is the problem that we have with politicians. Just before we forget, because we always end up rushing at the end, can you give us your uh, group's Facebook page so uh, our listeners can go and have a read of what you've just posted? Yeah, sure. So they can either go to our Ballarat Wildlife Rehabilitation and Conservation page, which is our not-for-profit. Our advocacy group is called Ballarat Region Koala Rescue and Advocacy Group, and it's a, it's an open, it's a public group. We do have a closed group as well, but that's our public group, and I've shared it there. Oh, look, thank you for that. Now, listen, the election's coming up. Koalas are not on the agenda, but I've got a feeling that's about to change with a whole bunch of people getting vocal, and <laughs> good on you for putting in the hours that are required. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Rob. We do. We just we just keep on. That's all we can do. We keep on. We just keep fighting and uh, hope that something will change eventually. Oh, listen. My worry is, and I don't like to get political because I really don't understand politics. I admire people who go into public life. It's an amazing commitment, but I just don't understand the system. I've I've only been trying to learn it for sixty odd years, and I. 
a lot of good people go into parliament thinking they're going to do good things. I'm sure they all think they're going to do good things. But it must be that the system stops them from doing good things. So I, I think you're right. I think it, I think the system is so broken and that they spend most of the time trying to navigate how to survive as a politician. Mm. Look, no matter who gets voted in, this is a warning to all political parties. Whoever is heading the next Victorian state government, watch out. The koala lovers of the world are coming to get you because <laughs> there are some fanatical supporters overseas, Jess. There absolutely are. We're, we are so blessed to have them. <laughs> They're a lot more active than a lot of the Aussies. They're incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, we'll, we'll keep pushing. I'll, I'll let you go because I know it's another late night and you've been doing a lot today already. I thank you for your time. Do you have a final message for our listeners? I, I think there is an election coming. They don't come very often. We can't, koalas can't wait. They can't wait any, any longer under the current system. We, we really need change for our koalas or we're going to lose them. That is the truth. And I think if you really care about our wildlife, if you care about koala conservation, then speak up now. Don't do it later. Speak up now. You know, contact. If you go to our website, we've actually even designed an email template for you to send to politicians, to your local MPs or to Dan Andrews. Made it really easy for people. So if you go to Ballarat Wildlife Rehabilitation and Conservation, so brac.org.au, you'll find our campaign page under the news section. On the podcast section of the radio station, we'll put the BRAC site up so people can just click on the link under the podcast and get taken straight to that page. Jess, keep fighting the fight. As I've said a couple of times, I had this horrible feeling that you never intended to become a wildlife activist. You were a rescuer, yeah? I'm a rescuer and a carer, and yes, it wasn't it wasn't intended. It, it has happened, and there's no going back. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Just implore people to have a read of your latest post and follow through with the recommended actions. Jess, hopefully better news next week. All right? Yeah. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thanks for your support. You take care. Okay, bye. Thank you, Jessica. B-W-R-A-C.org.au. Make sure you check out the koala page. Thank you, Jess. We'll keep working. The koalas are in desperate need of help. Uh, For too long, uh, the argument that they're abundant in Victoria has meant that proper management has not happened. We're doing our best to make sure that changes. Till next week, this is The Wildlife. Be safe.